welcome to the Bad Christian Podcast. Matt, you doing okay? I doing know the great. answer to this. You're not doing that great. Super you're, you're in the mid middle of a move. Life is <laughs> like, it makes me sad. Like your life, you're always kind of unaware about things. So uh, your life's always pretty good. But right now you're <laughs> completely aware of how bad your life is. Does that make it's sense? It's coming into focus. You're right. Like, you're not you're usually right. that aware. Like you, people used to make fun of you and you'd, you'd laugh because you're like, oh, that's funny. And yeah, then, you know, now mean. that you, but now that you've gotten older and have, learn what emotions are and understand them and feel them mm -hmm. more deeply and just getting old when you're a, a, a dad and a husband, you know, father, all those things. I mean, you just, you start feeling things more. You just start crying and stuff. It's funny. I, uh, I, I wrote it down somewhere <laughs> the other day I cried in a movie. I started crying in a movie because, uh, a dad brutally murdered a guy that was holding his son. He like killed the, the bad guy, the dad killed the bad guy or whatever. And I started crying because I was like, fuck yeah, man. Family. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was really like, oh my gosh, I got to say, you know, it really, it just, I start crying in movies now for weird spots that remind me of like my kids or family or, you know, uh, justice or honor yeah. or something, you know, like do, doing better as a dad or something, all those things get me. But anyway, so sorry, your life is so bad. We'll, we the talk bad about things are, I've got my, uh family has to move i gotta yeah. go out of town we don't have a place to move my grand my in my mother-in-law kid's grandma who's had a stroke and her has become a dependent of ours in some capacity that is yeah we don't know how to deal with at all and all the markets are crashing you know what i'm saying i lost yeah. uh millions in luna <laughs> <laughs> i remember you always talked about luna and i said I be careful you didn't listen i said be careful with luna <laughs> Some people are in real trouble with Luna. Yeah, like, like it's, it's bad. And that, and the number one thing I hate about crypto is anybody goes, see, I told you volatile. You gotta be careful with crypto. Well, that, I mean, it's, it, it really too. highlights the difference in stocks and crypto in that moment where the stocks can crash down to, you know, very badly and could go worse, but still they're companies that have value. So it's like you could go down 40% in stocks and you still ha own something. But when those cryptos. Yes. Yeah, the, but I mean, stocks, you know, they down, can I mean, go to zero. I mean, yeah, I, I know they can go to zero, but I mean, I have, I don't know, 10 stocks and all of them are less than half of what I paid. Whew, that's I mean, brutal. I mean, every single. But that's one. better than zero. But still, yeah. I, I mean, mean, it's all bad. It's all like not, you know, whatever. But anyway, um, we also uh, that's what we're going to say too. We're going on tour. Oh, songs and stories is next week in Houston and uh, San Antonio, and yeah, uh, you might want to go ahead and get your tickets because I think it's going to sell out. People love Emory. We call it Little Emory, basically, because it's uh, it's me, Matt, and Devin uh, playing acoustic and keys. And uh, just singing our hearts out is so it's beautiful. It's what people tell me. We call it Little Emory because out of the guys in the band, me, Devin, Toby, Chris, Josh, and Dave, Toby, Devin, and I all have the smaller penises. Yeah, the tiniest one. So it's so Little we're, Emory. Yeah. So if we're somewhere, we call it Little yeah. Emory. If the three of them go somewhere, it's still Big Emory. It's still Big Emory. Yeah, yeah. that's what they call it. So, um, but so we'll be in, yeah next week. Uh, come see us. You can go to emorymusic.com and check that out. Um, and we're going on tour too. There's tickets everywhere. Uh, and that's going to be good. We're touring with, uh, old Aaron Gillespie. He's mm -hmm. doing the full Southern weather by himself. Uh, you, you will never get to hear this album perform this way from front to back ever again. This way it's going to be except for if we, if we capture it and release it. Oh yeah. Well that, <laughs> but to actually be but there live. would be different, but that's, <laughs> yeah. If we capture it, I'm excited about that. There, yeah. I think we're, um, also, you know, on the side note on that, going to me without you tonight to capture. 
Ooh. With multi-cams and audio and everything. Nice. Yeah. So that I have really high expectations that that'll be oh, boy. captured well. I'm going to give it to them. I, we're not going to release it, but um, yeah. you know our crew, Zach and everybody, yeah. uh, uh, and we're going to capture it, mix it, and do stuff we do and hand it to them. I think they're Ooh. hopefully they'll do something good with it. So anyway, same like with that. Labeled Fest. It's going to be amazing moments that we'll hope to capture, but there won't be anything like actually being there. Yeah. Um, but that's What's the labeled website? universe Lab- labeled universe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and then also south by so what fest will be at that in, oh yeah uh, dallas that's right. uh next week you get to see big emory so you, big emory, in, in texas you can get to see little emory and big emory if you want to see that um i devin and i went and bought tried to buy two we looked at two vans uh sprinter vans in chicago it's about two and a half hour drive uh from champagne here and uh the first one when we got there uh, so we get there and we're just waiting and, uh, there's, there's a Mexican guy and he kind of walks over and looks at me. I was like, Oh, are, are you here to sell us? I, I said, you hear the van? He goes, yes, yes. Um, where is it? I was like, yeah, yeah. Where is the van? You're right. I thought it was a language barrier. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, and he, and then he just looks at me and I go, are you here to sell the van? He goes, buy the van. <laughs> oh, no, no, sorry. <laughs> so we were both there at the same time to meet this guy. And he just stopped responding. I was like, oh, shit, we drove all the way up here. And this is, is this some kind of, because he told us uh, it was a 7-Eleven parking lot. So we're in a 7-Eleven park, uh, parking lot in like Itzica, Itaka. I don't know how you say that, name that town, but we were all the way up there. And uh, the guy doesn't show. And I was like, I guess we're being, and I really started thinking, because all around were like apartments. I was like, this person is just scamming people to be mean or something is looking at us outside there in their window, just staring at us, watching us laughing that we drove all the way from champagne. Video, to do this. On his phone for Why are we here? Yeah. 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 We're both there at the same time. Obviously we're not at their home, so they can get away with it or whatever. You know, I was like, shit, this is, and Devin was like, I just can't understand why somebody would do that. And finally we waited about 30 minutes and the guy didn't respond and we left. We got about 10 minutes down the road. Text back sorry was making a delivery on my way now and Devin goes uh Devin <laughs> kept saying he really would like it if the guy was messing with us he would have to really respect it if it was no reason mm-hmm. but if it was even if the reason was just to be mean Devin would actually like it so we were like if we go back is if we were going just long enough to where maybe if that person sitting in the window staring he's like okay they got just far enough down the road that they could turn around and come back let me oh, hit them with it an and so we did we came back and we start sitting there when we were there for now, 20 minutes, nothing again. And I go, Whoa. I said, are you on your way? Text back. Yes, I am. I was like, come on. This, and I, I was like, I said, five more minutes and we're out of here, Devin. I guess this guy really got it. This is unbelievable. Uh, we're getting ready to back out. Band pulls in. I was like, okay, so this guy's real. He's uh, uh, Eastern European, uh, another, you know, uh, a little bit more of a language barrier again. I was like, hey, but the van was the most piece of shit you've ever seen. <laughs> we waited well, well over an hour. I mean, you couldn't, the back door didn't close. There's no air condition in the whole thing. I mean, it is so junky. You can't believe, I mean, the engine sounded like it's about to fall apart and everything he told me about it wasn't really true. And I was like, yeah, uh, no, thank you. He's like, okay. And that was it. It was one a big deal. And then we went and saw another one and it just wasn't good either. The problem with buying those vans is if you don't get a, uh, passenger one, there is no air in the back. The air's see, in the yeah. roof, you know? Yeah. So yeah. the cargo ones don't put air in the back of them. They don't need it. And so 
uh, if you get a cargo when you're just screwed. So we went all the way up there and the only thing good that came out of it, we ate at Buffalo wild wings, drove up there two and a half hours. And then, but it was that really low point where there was a, Oh wait, I guess that extra thing happened. There was a really low point. We're like, damn it, man, we got nothing here. And these vans aren't working out. And Devin was like, let let me see if we can turn this day around a little bit. And he pulled into a Wendy's and we got spicy chicken nuggets. It worked. If you think about the human system and the dopamine system and all that kind of stuff. And when we have, um, that, uh, the dopamine nation person on remember this type yeah. of thing. Cause this is the yeah. exact kind of thing I want to talk with her about, but that's like identifying those low points and being able to be okay with them. And you, right. you can really go, wait a minute. I can really feel good soon. Yeah. Because if this is so bad, I'm here. This is okay. I'm right. with Devin. We're here. We're not, it's isn't the worst thing in the world, but it's low. Yeah, yeah. Like how many super low points have we had? Like infinite amount of them. Oh, and yeah. Things get, then the next time you get a meal or get drunk or like get, get right. laughing, it's like not far away, you know? No. You no. know, and that's, then it's like, that's how, we, you know, your system is a gradient between your lows and your highs. You can't just keep it one way. So like having lows like that is a good balancing part of your psyche, I think. Did it feel good after that? When I got the nuggets, yes. Yeah, right. Makes when I got those nuggets. Think, I mean, isn't that cool? It, we really did start laughing and cutting up and feeling a lot better. But it you was, can't it, just it, go straight to nuggets to feel good. Right, 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 right. You know, you had to. Yeah, and well, be, it wasn't even really about the nuggets. It was just like, it's something that right. totally took me out of the shit for a second. It was like, oh, this, I mean, because they're not the most unbelievable nuggets in the world, but it's just some, something like, oh, I did get something <laughs> for me. I did get a five piece from Somehow me. to your to your <laughs> animal self, that balance is like, well, something bad happened, right. something good happened. Right. And now I'm I'm Toby, yeah. centered and balanced, ready to move forward. Yeah. Um so we got a great guest. One other thing, if you haven't joined uh the BC Club, you can go thebcclub.com or you can go to knucklebreakers.com or emorymusic.com. You can just join us. You get Emory Music like crazy when you join. Uh you get my heralded weekly newsletter email. Um you get, uh, usually you get your name read, uh, this week. Sorry. We're a little bit behind with Matt moving and everything. So we don't have the list. We'll, we'll do that again next week. You get your name read on the podcast and uh, a bunch of other stuff. So yeah, go, go join that up. Also marriage supply extra podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You get extra two extra podcasts a week. Um, you can go to marriage supply.com use the code BCPOD and you get 10% off. That is the home marriage supply is our business where we sell sex toys, uh, to married folks. If you're married, if you're not married, actually, come 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 stop by and see what it's like to buy sex toys for married people. You know, go ahead and get get ahead. Like maybe you get marital mar- supply. Yeah, yeah pre that's what we should do. Marriage supply and premarital. It's just like either one. It's just you choose. Hey, yeah, we should do slightly should do, different. Premarital supply would be actually pretty good. Yeah. That's actually a great idea. We should do an offshoot of marriage supply or premarital supply. But uh yeah, go get some sex it's toys, spice up that sex better. life. Then, um, you know, all right, we have a great marriage is spicing up your premarital activities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spice it up. That is one thing I never understood. Like they, they say, you know, uh, constantly read the Bible so that you know, the Lord, like if you don't read your Bible every day and practice hard, uh, being a, a good person that you, you'll fall off and you'll be a bad person. You know what I mean? You won't be a, a, a healthy, good Christian. And they say, you know, if you want to get better at sports, practice every day, practice every day. And you're mm-hmm. like, uh, sex wait until you're in your twenties yeah. and married and then do you really be want awesome. a noob or do you want somebody's got the 10,000 hours? Oh my God. The 10,000 hours, right? 
You didn't know that in the beginning. Everybody says that's a you're slut, sir. You're, you're you sleep around. You're terrible. No, you got to get that ten thousand no. hours. Everybody you want to be good 10, at something. I, I mean, know. like you know, I'm, I'm glad probably I wrote the book I'm, on it. You know, yeah. Like think of how good you know I am at guitar now compared to when I first started. Who wanted to be in a band with me when I first got my guitar? Right. Nobody. You, you did. Oh yeah, damn it! Still, still you. <laughs> uh, all right, we got a great guest Devin today. and you actually. Devin specifically is the answer to that question, but um, and then you shortly after. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so today we have Reverend Brian Kaler. He's from WordAndWay.com, and um, he's this is a really uh, this is a fun, I guess, but it's a little bit. A little bit scary, some of the stuff we talk about, but it's about the inter- we talk about the intersection of faith and politics. He's a commu- he was a communications major. This guy's really smart, uh, very thoughtful in his answers. And we get all the way out into the woods and stuff, but uh, you know, even to what happens if Trump gets elected again, um, and it doesn't sound too good. <laughs> so this one, uh, you know, listener discretion be it, listeners be it, be advised. Use your own discretion because uh, it, it, we don't get too crazy. But I mean, this is a an interesting topic because uh, how much e- uh, evangelicals played a part in getting Trump elected, what that means, where our faith and our politics land, and who we talk to and how we talk to them. Uh, so this is going to be a good one. We're excited. So uh, yeah. let's 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 bring him on. Hey Brian, what's going on? Oh, doing well. How about you? Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I hear you just fine. Looks good. Sounds good. Same for us. Right. Yeah. Where where are you at? Are you in Springfield, Missouri? Uh, Jefferson City. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, I'm. Uh, I lived in Clinton, Missouri, for a little while. Okay, yeah. My, Been my there. wife's from Clinton, a little bit north, like in the middle of Springfield and uh, Kansas City. So yeah, I was looking at uh, all. So you went to University of Missouri, where my wife went, and I was going to ask you first off. You pro- you probably partied just as hard as she did, right? Were you like, were you at the bar <laughs> most nights? You know, I I only went in grad school for one. So. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So you know, we're we're a little bit more uh, mature by then, right? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I wasn't, but I'm glad you were. <laughs> but you got—I mean, you have done a lot. Of, I'm pretty impressed here. I mean, like, so you got your uh, uh, master's of communication at University of Missouri, or your PhD, right? You're both of them there. Yes, that's yeah. correct. And then uh, you go, you do. Let's say you got a BA in communication and Christian ministry from Southwest Baptist University. Is that in Springfield as well? Is that right? It's close. It's in Bolivar. It's oh, about yeah, a half yeah. hour north of Springfield. Yeah, that's right. And then uh, you serve on the Baptist World Alliance as chair of communication. I mean, you do a lot of communication. That's one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on. But one of the things I was pretty blown away by is, is said uh, you were an associate professor of communications at James Madison University. That is a huge accomplishment to do it so young. I mean, to become an associate professor is isn't easy, and to do it, I mean, how old are you? What are you? Thirty four, thirty five, something like that. Well, uh, I'm forty one now, but I okay. mean, I've also I left that job in uh, twenty fourteen. So wow, but how, I mean, what made you leave? You had tenure. I know I did. Yeah, <laughs> that's hard to get. I thought. Yes, yeah, it, it seems is hard. Supposedly, um, yeah, I. Uh, I enjoy the writing and I, I, I mean, I enjoyed teaching. It was fine, but I wanted to write. I wanted to write more and also to write in a forum where people are actually going to read it and academic publishing just isn't working in that regard. Oh, so there's a lot of publications, but nobody's really digging. Nobody's in. reading them. Right. Yeah. The ones you need to get tenure and promotion, people aren't actually reading. 
I'm I'm curious about this area still, uh, just in the background thing of how somebody like you or uh, people that write see writing. Um, to me, I've just always felt like writing, um, like it's so not interactive. I guess is what, I, and so I don't understand when people say they like writing. That just means being by yourself typing or something. Like I can't. I know that sounds so silly, but I'm. Always fascinated when somebody says, I love write. Like you're in a classroom, you're doing this, other things, but you want to go write and then somebody else some other time might or might not read it. Can you help me understand what you love about it? It's pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, so on one hand, I'm an introvert. So, uh-huh. you know, I, I, it's nice to be writing by myself and not having to deal with other people. Uh, co- present company excluded, of course. But, uh, you know, I mean, I was built for the pandemic. I was already working at home. I was already, you know, not going in, in places with people. And so, you know, this was great. I know for extroverts, it has been pretty rough, but uh, I liked it. It, was, it wasn't so bad. But, but still, um, you're trying to communicate and connect with people, though. Like, it, like, isn't the whole point? I mean, communications is what you study. And I'm just trying to understand what yeah. is the – how do you – enjoy what is the thing that you actually enjoy about is that how do you measure it or experience mm-hmm. the thing you like so there's the craft of the writing and so writing as opposed i mean you can do this to some degree with speaking but particularly with writing you are going through the drafts you're you're there's a much more careful attention to each word that said and you know it's not like there's not a conversation i mean i i get emails nearly every day back from somebody who has read something and so there is, there is that communication back and forth, but it's a slower back and forth. So, uh, you know, ideally it's a more thoughtful, they hear the whole argument before, you know, offering feedback or comment. Uh, and then they're offering a longer, perhaps comment in a block back to the writer. Mm-hmm. So it's still very interactive. And I mean, obviously it's interactive because you're hoping to obviously affect people. It's like, is that, what's the drive behind? Is it to, do you, do you have a good sense of like your personal goal or mission or the drive behind it? Yeah, that's right. It is the idea that when so- someone will be different, not just smarter, but perhaps even start to act differently or think differently in the world after having read. And so that's, that's obviously a key goal that I think it's helpful. It's hope. I mean, that's, that's my, my, my goal. And right. And so that's part of the problem of academic publishing is if no one's reading it, then no one's being impacted. Nothing's really changing regardless of how good the study might be. And is academic stuff supposed to be where you, like, what is the fantasy of it that d- doesn't come true with somebody that's done? It? It's like you write, but nobody reads it. I mean, like I mean, the they're, people that are the most gifted at the studied the hardest people don't read what they write. I don't understand. That. <laughs> well, it's not that nobody reads it, but it is a small group. Right. And so, and part of it is because academic publishing as a model is dying on a price point. So, you know, for books, for instance, it used to be that the libraries across the country, it, it, you know, they, if they all picked up your book, the, the publisher would break even easily. And so then anything on top of that, as you're reaching perhaps, uh, you know, individual purchases of professors or students or, you know, broad audience. And in fact, then that's when you start to see the royalties and the publishers making money and so on and so on. But as budgets have been cut, uh, as education budgets, particularly with public universities, has been cut by state governments, uh, the Great Recession, 2008, university budgets got slashed. So they started selling fewer books. And a lot of academic publishers said, well, we still need to break even. So if half as many libraries are buying the books, we'll just charge twice as much, which is why then you see some academic books 
But you know, you go to Amazon, you're thinking, why is this $90? Why is this $150? Yes. And it's because the academic publisher is trying only to break even from libraries, which of course is means library. It's a it's a it's a doom cycle because now the books cost up. twice as much, so the universities buy fewer again. And so you can you can invest you know year years in this book, and then your publisher puts it out there at a hundred bucks, and of course no one's going to buy it and read it right. at that point. Yeah, I've been in that situation where I was actually some academic paper or something I was trying to look at, and it was like forty dollars to read it online, and I'm like, well. How could, how could, I mean, something's deeply wrong if the, if that information exists and there's not that many people that want it and here somebody does want it and they, I mean, that, of course I'm not going to pay it $40. Out. Yeah. No, right. And you shouldn't. And, and, and the author, if you're talking about like a journal article, the author's not even going to see that money. And so uh, honestly, you know, if you see, ever see a journal article that you want and they're wanting you to pay 20 or more dollars for it. Try to find the email of the author and just ask, you know, send them an email and ask for a PDF copy. And I, I bet you 95% of the time, the professor will send it to you because they're excited that somebody actually wants to read it and they're not going to make any of that money anyways. Well, wow. uh, it's funny. I get, I don't know why I signed up. I know why I signed up for it. So there's this, you might be familiar. Y'all, I don't know if y'all are familiar with this website or not. I just looked it up because I almost forgot the name, but I get these PDFs from a, a website called Academia. I don't, and, and they'll send it. And it's, so it's like uh, medieval re religions. And uh, I'm looking at all the e emails, Thessalonians and the mystical as political democracy and non-radical orthodoxy uh, by Zachary <laughs> Kostopoulos. I signed up thinking I'm going to read these yeah. and I'm going to learn. <laughs> and I have never clicked on the email. One. I don't know why, I, because I'm fascinated by the title. They get me with the title. It sounds really interesting. And then I feel also the problem is, I feel a little too dumb to really put in the effort. Like I, I know I could understand it if I put in a little effort, but I wish there was, here's what I wish. I wish academic papers like that or whatever would was paired with a podcast opener where you got to learn a little bit like, like you, like folks, they can hear a little bit of your personality. You explain a little bit in you know, my world terms, you know, something that I can understand. And then I go, Oh, that's what this is. Okay, now I can start reading it. It's really hard when I see all those letters and paragraphs and words, and I'm like, wait a minute, I need to go to the dictionary to figure out what, uh, you know, or uh, an encyclopedia to figure out where this is in the country at that time or whatever. You know, it, it seems a little overwhelming, so that's what gets me sometimes, which is, uh, what, which is also why I think a lot of people, it, the other big thing here is, uh, as a writer, I don't know how you feel about this, but you also have now unlimited competition because everybody writes on their social media pages with no regard for, you know, real study or, you know, really looking it up or research. I, I, we, yeah. had, we had this joke. Um, research now literally is just somebody laying in their jogging pants on the couch, eating chips and Googling something. You know what I mean? That, that really is research. What people consider, I, I looked it up. You know, and the people go, I've done some research. That all they did was look, uh, you know, just a little. So, what about that competition? How do you get past that? Because a lot of people are writing tons of stuff that just you just go, well, is that true or not? Or they said that it was true, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, there is the good side of kind of this democratization of platforms in that more people can get online, more people can publish to the world their thoughts. So I don't want to discount that. But right. we do have a problem. We have a problem that that there is a lot of crap out there. Yeah. And we have research from the communication field that shows that while we are sometimes good at remembering what we read or heard, we don't always remember where. 
And so what that means is that a nugget you hear from a credible source might stick in your brain just as well as something you saw from your uncle on Facebook. But then, (laughs) you know, a week later, you don't remember which one was from which. So they're now just both just as credible. I read this somewhere, therefore it's credible. And we don't spend enough time, I think, in in our personal reading habits generally of thinking about source credibility as we're putting information into our brains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons podcasts are valuable because you are hearing the person's voice and you have a full context for the character of this person. And in real life, it takes you – when you're interacting with a personality, you spend a period of time evaluating it and calibrating to it, and then you open a channel, and then you allow it in in a, in a different way than text. So. That's one of the things I like about, you know, podcasting generally. So now we have the opportunity to to kind of do that. So um, there's stuff that's inevitably in your books and the thrust of all the stuff, research and stuff you've been doing for all this time. So, um, you know, now we have opportunity to talk it out with a person embodied with a personality and, and, and stuff here. Because a lot of stuff you're doing seems like really fascinating and pertinent. So I'm curious still um, – what, you know, you, you spoke before about the transformational ability for things to, that you write or whatever to to impact uh, people. What is it? I'm curious more about the impact and what is the thrust of your work as you see it? Yeah, I mean, so a, a lot of my work in recent years particularly is at that intersection of, you know, faith and politics, the public square, because, I mean, one, I think it's something I've, I've long been passionate about, both areas, religion and politics. But it's also, I think it's, it's an area where it's a, it's a, we do so poorly in our churches, in the public square. We, we do a really bad job at understanding religion, politics, and both, uh, both together and what makes them different. And so I think it's an area where there's a lot of work to be done. And there's always material. There's always something uh, to be writing about as well. Is that areas that you think are important and need to reform or are broken or crumbling or whatever? Because, I mean, I, I, I have a very lazy point of view, but it's just like, oh, the religion, the politics, those are big failures. That's what it feels like to me. It's like, well, I don't pay much attention to those is what it feels like to me. And yet at the same time, we're talking about things that are so core to someone's identity. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, whatever your religious beliefs may be, uh, if you believe in God, gods or none, right? you know, that's something that's really core to how you're going to view and act in so many other different topics and realms. And I think the same thing with politics as well, because it hits on a lot of key topics, but also because I think what we're seeing increasingly in our society is that in many ways, party ID is the new religion. It's, it's functioning yeah. in religious ways. And so sometimes that's dangerous, and sometimes it just means that there's been this confusion, this conflation of religion and politics, that what we call religious is really our political religion. So they're merging then? Are we witnessing just the merging of the the church and state or something? It's not just the merging, but it's also it's a flipping of priorities. So this is some research that we've seen from Robert Putnam. Uh, He's best known for his book, Bowling Alone, but he did another book more recently with David Campbell – on uh, called American Grace, and they've done some longitudinal research talking to thousands of Americans over many years. And one of the things they found that I think is really fascinating and alarming is that four decades ago, if your pastor said something that conflicted with your chosen politics or your political party, that you were more likely to change your politics. 
And then today, and I mean, actually oh. today, like pre COVID, and I actually think COVID has, has magnified this and made it a lot worse. But I think, but now if your pastor says something that conflicts with your chosen politics, you're more likely to change your church. Or if there's enough of you, as we've seen during COVID, you can just change your minister. Uh, And so it's this idea, though, of, and I tell pastors, it's actually worse than it sounds. It's not that you're the second best influencer of someone's worldview. It's that they only tolerate you now as long as you toe the party line. Wow, that's bad. It is. It is. And so what what we're calling religion is really politics in so many ways. Yeah. Because so, wait, the, so y'all are saying that, let me make sure I got this right. You're saying now that people used to be influenced, like they would hear a perspective of their pastor and then think about it and but not, not just change just because they trying to stay in church. But now people are like, Oh, I don't, I won't go against my policy politics. I won't hear of it or something. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, it's because if you spend, you know, all week in the church of Fox news or MSNBC, What's a pastor going to do in 20 minutes on Sunday? Yeah. Uh, There's another way to look at it, too, um, from my view, um, as just kind of like watching the last 40 years go by or something with the churches and stuff like that. And it's like, and I've been caught up in it or even part of it and everything, is this the idea of the pastors and the churches becoming these consumer-driven demographic monsters that – um, figure out what works, and so these there's a lot of pastors. The worst of of them are just uh, uh, what do you what do you call it grifter like that figure out what works to hold power, and they pull from politics to whatever's working. So they'll mm-hmm. m- remanufacture their uh, uh, message through the biblical lens for their congregation because it works for butts and seats or money in so they are self they self align to not their deep principles like the pastor did you know in 1942 on this methodist corner on the street he was compelled by his principles and like there was the tradition there not he wasn't trying to do anything but that and you wouldn't go against that pastor because that was your community and the people you went to the methodist church with like you're not gonna like here with Reverend Bill, we're obviously Republicans because this is what we all believe because this is what the Bible, you know, like that. And eventually you have, you know, mega church people just growing audiences with whatever they need to become high influencers with power and stuff. So they've kind of lost, you know, and they kind of just go along with what's going to work. So they've kind of bowed to the politics as the more powerful draw or something. And then you kind of like a lot of people have lost their way through that, it seems. I think that's a good point. I, I think that, and what you have is then there's no roots to it, right? If you're constantly right. trying to just get the people in the pew and giving and you're chasing the fads, well, the fads keep changing and in many ways they keep changing faster and faster and faster. And so you just have to keep moving to keep yep. up with wherever culture is going. You're following culture instead of influencing or even standing against it. In the way that like Greg Locke is like Tucker Carlson, they're the same, right? Like they're the same, they do the same, they have the same skill in life. What, you know, they do the same same shtick. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same shtick and they're both having the same, same success moment, right? You know, you know, pre COVID uh, versus where they are now, COVID has been great for business. Right. Should, uh, should politics and church even be together though? Like, should your, should your, uh, to me, it seems like your pastor shouldn't be talking about politics no matter what maybe at any time, but I understand the influence there, but I don't understand that, especially, you know, not only with the separation of church and state, but just the idea there of 
having that kind of congregation and making it mobile against a certain candidate that how, how does that get so murky or, or why is it because it, it seems like it definitely is in the church mm-hmm. yeah i think it is important though to make sure that we have a difference between partisan and political and so i would say that it's really problematic for a house of worship to be partisan not only is yeah. it actually against the irs rules they're not doing anything about it right now but technically you could lose your tax exempt status I also think theologically it's very problematic for a church to become partisan. I would say that a church can't be, can't really be apolitical though. I mean, I think you're going to have to be, you're going to have to be political because we're dealing Jesus and other figures in the, in the Bible, as well as in other religious texts are dealing with political matters. And so if our preaching is, I mean, honestly, if our preaching is apolitical, it probably just means you're supporting the politics of the status quo uh, but you're you're not really challenging injustices and so forth of of those who are ruling. So you're going to be you're going to be talking about serious political matters. But there is a clear problem with partisanship in the church. That's fascinating because does that mean that it, they the, I didn't really know that about the IRS or whatever, but it makes sense. The tax exempt status is something that in a, some ways is a target. Like if you look at Scientology and they're tax exempt, and it's like all these kind of griftery churches can get tax exempt at some point that's going to be a problem and some political some po- political movement will want to s- prove that they're partisan and strike that down or something could that happen i mean i think there's so there's yeah i think there could be an effort at some point for the irs to to finally start following the law and enforcing the, the law that they have uh, and which is why we've also had the movement from some churches trying to change the law uh, and in fact, President uh, Trump, when he was in office, promised that he would get rid of that provision. He he didn't. He says he did. He says he got rid of it, but he actually didn't because it's a congressional <laughs> Congress actually actually vote, and they haven't uh, done that yet. Um, and so, yeah, there there could be this problem uh, in the future where we could see one religious tradition targeted because of political activity. Uh, and so it, it's, it's something that I think churches need to be more aware of, that if you're inviting candidates to come in and essentially do campaign addresses, which is happening across the country yeah. right now, yeah. we have candidates for 2022 offices are showing up in houses of worship pretty much every Sunday, campaigning, praying for votes, and churches are putting their own taxes and status at risk. Wow. Wow. And the the polarization just drives all this. It's like everything becomes political and religious and everybody's afraid and you just need to be aligned with people. So whatever you can find strength in, people do and then people take advantage of that, I guess. Yeah. And what message does that sit if you're sitting in, in, in a pew and, you know, your pastor brings in, be it a Republican or a Democrat and says, you know, hey, I, I love this person. We're going to pray for them to win. We're going to let them give the sermon today. And if you have any sort of political difference, I mean, you're almost being told you're not a real Christian, right. or maybe maybe you're even you're a, a bad Christian, if you will, <laughs> uh, yeah. as as your pastor is telling you this is who God wants you to vote for. Yeah. How did you get so uh, so? What what was the draw for you to politics? Because your books are uh, like yeah, presidential campaign rhetoric in an age of confessional politics, sacramental politics, vote your conscience, and then for God's sake shut up uh what what was the draw there with politics as a christian for you yeah i mean you know i i always remember being interested in politics and so i mean that's that's one thing i i mean i remember as a as a kid coloring in my own red and blue maps on election night you know and i'm like seven <laughs> and you know i want to and i learned you know important lessons like 
my bedtime would come before Alaska and Hawaii turn in the results. And there was no hope <laughs> of letting getting to stay up long enough to color those two states. But I've since learned that you can color one of them red and one of them blue and you're good you know, every election. So didn't have to wait up for it. But, you know, so I've always been interested in it. And then as I deepened in my faith in the church and I felt a call to ministry, that's when, you know, I've had to kind of like deal with like, all right, so what does this mean? How do I, how do I also balance being a Christian in the United States, and this is our political system, which, by the way, looks nothing like anything that Jesus talked about because there wasn't democracy uh, back in that time, right? And so how do we start to apply these important teachings to a current political environment that just doesn't match anything that we're actually going to be hearing about or reading about in Scripture? Okay, I got a cool music spot here. This is uh, an Arizona indie alt-rock band they're called wild earth and a bunch of you already know wild earth because we promoted some of their music before on the podcast and we helped them run a crowdfund campaign on their last record it was called holy fools but this is a new track called wake me up and it's off their brand new album called weary hymns along the way and maybe this fits listeners who enjoy manchester orchestra and kings of leon and mute math acceptance you know these are the artists that wild earth seems to resonate with um, if you follow them on Spotify, Apple Music, and Instagram, that's at Wild Earth Music. Uh, they'd greatly appreciate that. See what they've got cooking and keep up with them. Uh, keep an eye out for them on tour later this year, too. And again, their album, Weary Hymns Along the Way, it's out now. So go check it out. Give them a follow. Yeah, that's what I, that's what's so tough for me is the, the idea of, like, even capitalism i don't think I, it doesn't seem that jesus would be a capitalist i know that he worked hard and probably earned a wage you know as a carpenter and and but i mean i don't know if like getting ahead and getting yours like it feels a lot to me that we've really bought into this two-party the, the thing that most thing i don't understand is the two-party system I, I understand why it's been that way but i i can't believe i go down the grocery aisle and there's a hundred different boxes of cereal but there's only ever like two old white guys for the most part, you know, uh, besides this one time in America, it's always been, you know, two white guys or, you know, a, a, a orange headed guy or something like that. But uh, and I don't understand that how, how we can, when people are thinking about their Christianity and their faith and then putting it into this system, it feels like it, it just isn't going to work out either anyway or something. Yeah. I mean, what, that's what the, I think the hardest Thing for anyone, regardless where you grow up, but I think it's even more significant when you live in the global empire, is how to separate the the wheat and the chaff, to separate what's what's biblical, what's our faith, what's our religion, versus what's our culture. And when you grow up and you're in a dominant faith tradition, everything just kind of is in sync together. And so that's that's the the I think the challenge facing Christians today, and that we generally are doing a really bad job at is separating what is actually Christian teaching and what is just something that's American. Yeah, because that all filters, from my view, through a, uh, um, through the, the lens of parent, parenting failure <laughs> um, or what I would, maybe lazy parenting in that you just, the church is like a, a place where you help make sure your kids don't do horrible stuff that embarrasses you or hurts them or hurts you or hurts the way you, you know, it's just, let the church help you do behavior stuff with your kids or something. 
like, and then that's political and everything else. And it's like all one thing. It's like my mom says, and the pastor says, and we're in this system and you just can't ask questions about anything at that point. You just can't ask any questions about anything. If all your party and your pastor and your mom agrees and it's all Jesus said it to like, that's, that is not good parenting. I don't think that or it's lazy or I don't know what to say about it, but it, it feels like there's a problem there to me. Yeah. And I feel that every day as a parent. So it's like, you know, (laughs) how do I, how do I teach the values, but also in a way that is, you know, helping my son to think critically for himself, uh, to make his own decisions. You know, that's, that's, that's a very difficult tension. I get it. It it would be easy, easier to just be, it would be convenient to just be like, well, this is what God wants you to do. So just do it. Right? Yeah, I mean, the I teachers like, too. The teachers are this are part of that. So I'm not trying to blame you, but I'm saying that all works together for a kid. How is he supposed to know what is important or what? The, well, you got to respect the teacher, or you got to respect the but thing. But is it because it's religion, or is it because it's the politics, or is it just because you don't want me to sleep with anybody? What is it? for? What are we doing? Like, I don't know the reason why you. Everybody wants me to act a certain way, or what the principles behind. I don't know that as a kid. Kids don't know that. They just know you get in trouble if you don't do what everybody tells you to. Yeah, and, and, and you get morality rules, for that somehow. And how are you supposed to know what it comes from? Yeah. And some rules are, you know, temporal based, you know, like, you know, bedtime is at this time and you absolutely have to be in bed. Jesus and then, you know, said f- so. Five years later, it's like, well, now bedtime's later, right? So bedtime is one of those things that's constantly moving. Then there's things like, you know, brush your teeth. You know, it's, it's not necessarily spiritual. It's not religious, but it's good health that we should brush your teeth every day and floss, right? And so, you know, there's different levels of rules, if you will, and some of them are more set in stone and others aren't. And how do, how do we teach that? And how do we communicate those in a way that people can get the difference? Yeah. I think uh, you were going to say something, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I was just, it's funny too, though, because I feel like we are, our politics oftentimes aren't, it, it feels as if on both sides, it's all almost morality based or uh, so it, there's a spiritual component, I think, on both sides. Now, I think there's a religion on the right and the left and and politics seems like it's a pretty huge religion now. And so in the church, what I see oftentimes and, and honestly, what pushed me out and it, and I've been gone for a while and just recently have I felt more connected to God and even the idea of I went to church this past Sunday, uh, I just I feel a longing back for that community and stuff, but I still am wary because I don't know. I, I do see like my vote. I, I like, I didn't vote. I, I haven't voted for a president maybe ever. I think maybe I voted for Obama, but I can't remember. That's might've been the only president I ever even voted for. Uh, but um, I, I don't see much point in me voting. I don't know if it's going to change anything. And then also with the group of people like at the church, I, I can't look at it in a terms of everybody is equal. Like, you know, right now everybody's losing their mind over Roe v. Wade. I feel like I can see both sides. I know where I stand. I know what I believe. I, I, I am uh, for sure. I, 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 I'm pro-life. All right. Now, also, I, I, I understand some arguments from the other side, even though maybe I feel like it, they're not saying it the right way or they're, they're missing some of the, they don't want to admit the full scope of what's happening. I can understand it they believe differently than me. And so they, their vote counts just as much as mine or whatever, you know, I'm not trying to end, end abortions necessarily. What I'm trying to do is what is best for America, not just for Christians. And I think we get caught up in, I don't know. I mean, 
Yeah, and you maybe even speak of that some of it in in your books. I don't know if you want to go into that or not. I'm not saying we get, let's not get in a Roe v. Wade conversation. That that's, those don't go very far. But I do think there's some there's some issue there where you can't even get to the real issue. You can't even get to abortion because everybody has their thoughts right. and what they think abortion is. Or you know, or whatever. What's behind? Is. What's behind the? How could we get behind the? What is your st- stance on the issue to know how to a healthy democratic society with a healthy church could look at an issue? What's behind that? Yeah, yeah, that's a great. Yeah, even about getting into the substance of the issue, just you, you've identified something really significant. We can't even have conversations, right? Like we can't even have healthy conversations, and it's getting worse, not better. Our political parties have become more extreme on the issue of abortion, and so they're move they're moving in opposite directions. And so, if you look at their policy positions and their rhetoric now versus say eighties and nineties, it's both of them have made significant difference. And most Americans are actually in that area in between the two parties, but then yeah. we're forced to either go to one extreme or the other. And those are the talking heads that we have on television. And so we can't even have a conversation. Another one has been, you know, same-sex marriage, right? That's that. I mean, I have had so many times over the years where I'm writing about a different topic unrelated to marriage. And if someone doesn't like something I've written, the, the, I'll get the question, well, what do you think about same-sex marriage? And, and what it is is because it, it's, an, it's a convenient litmus test question, right? So if I can find out your position on that issue and you disagree with me, then I can quickly just mark you off as a heretic. And I don't have to actually deal with the current issue and the current topic. And so these, right. we have these couple like stand in topics that are basically like, let me know where you stand on this. And then I know whether I agree with you or disagree with you, whether I like you or whether I hate you, I'm probably pretty much anything. And that's, that's a significant problem. And you know, we just don't have models for good civil discourse in our society. We don't, we don't get it anywhere. We don't get it on television. We don't get it in politics. We don't get it in our churches. We don't know how to listen to the other side. Uh, we don't know how to engage in a way that is, you know, more invitational where we're having a conversation and we're inviting dialogue. And, and instead, it's all about, it's a war. Right. And, and, and how you move into a conversation impacts the way you're going to act. Uh, this is one of the things that I write about in my book, uh, For God's Sake, Shut Up, is this idea of the metaphor that you go into a conversation with changes the way you act. Words matter. They change the way you live. So if you think that a conversation is like a war, which is we have this rhetoric all the time, right? We've got to beat the other side. We've got to defeat their arguments, right? There's a winner and there's a loser. And so in that case, you're going to be aggressive. They're your competitor. You have to beat them or they will win. That's how we engage most of our political conversations and religious conversations. But there's other communication scholars that say we should instead view a conversation more like a dance. So now the other person isn't your enemy. They're your partner and you have, there's going to be give and take, you're going to move back and forth. And it's not about one position wins and the other person loses because you're going to end up, both of you are going to end up somewhere different. 
And it's together that you're creating something hopefully beautiful. I mean, I'm a Baptist, so I won't claim my, my dancing's beautiful because we, we didn't get any practice as kids. No problem. But, but at least together, you know, right, in, a, in an ideal situation, you're going to weave and move together and create something beautiful. But that's dangerous because it means you might be wrong on something. It means you might have right. to change your mind. Right, right. So it, it hinges on growth and change. But you, people say, well, it's not growth to become more like those liberals. That's that's death. I mean, it's not growth <laughs> to uh, understand further nuance. But if you're, I'll just use it again, a kid that now tries to understand what the word abortion means when you're 11, it's in this fucking climate, and that's a right. real problem. Like it's yeah. not, a, it's not, it's not something you can have a conversation with your anybody about because they're only going to be telling you rhetoric. That's it, right. It, so good luck. Yeah. And, and so most, then you of, just most to... adults don't even know what it is. I mean, you know, we throw out numbers, we throw out, you know, all these sorts of things. And most people have no idea what they're talking about. I mean, when people say that life begins at conception and most of them don't actually know when conception is. You know, we, we don't know how when we talk about the abortion numbers and how many abortions have, most people don't actually know what that includes. And so, you know, we have this ignorance among adults. So, I mean, there's no hope for our kids figuring it out. Yeah. And the and the worst part is now the media has gotten so sharp on what clickbait there is. I mean, you just see Ben Shapiro destroying some you know college student, and everybody's <laughs> like, "Yeah, our team just won." I mean, they even write that you know it, it says Ben Shapiro destroys liberal sport, college, yeah. and you're and, and that head and you do and everybody loves the the sparring there and that their guy in a way. Uh, one or something usually and, and if you ever watch those it never really is it's it, it's almost sad it's like wait a minute i mean ben shavir is a smart guy i know people hate him and stuff like that but i'm just saying and the maybe even the college student you know at, at, oftentimes makes a good point but there's no real dialogue or discourse there it's just oh let me one up you oh yeah you said this well guess what zinger and everything. yeah republican or democrat yeah we you, you know it's it's so crazy that that's the problem to me. It almost just feels like it's just become complete entertainment in a game. Yeah. And, and, you know, the way that people says, Oh, so-and-so won. I, I mean, communication research on presidential baits, for instance, the, the, the best indicator, the number one indicator of, of who you think won the debate is the candidate you were already for. <laughs> so that's why, you know, Republicans think the Republican did the best job in the debate and Democrats right. think the Democrat did the best job in the debate. Right. So it's generally not helpful to poll people who won the debate. That's basically you're polling them. Who are you voting for? And I think right. we do that same thing with this clickbait. But I mean, that's, you know, that's the broken model that we have of journalism today. Mm -hmm. I mean, digital advertising is dead. Google, Facebook and Amazon pretty much get all of the money. And so if you're a news site and you're trying to make money off advertising, you got to do clickbait. You got to have these headlines. And, but that but does a disservice to our readers that we're making, we're making everyone dumber and we're teaching these incivil bad habits of how to have public discourse. Do you, do you think we even have news now? Like is it Fox News or CNN, maybe I guess the two biggest or whatever. Is that even news? Like in, compared to like what it, at least maybe I hope it, it seems like it used to be. I don't think cable news is news at all. I mean, I, I, I'd say turn off your cable news. It's turn them off. They're trash. Uh, I cut cable long, long time ago. So that's easy for me to say, but at the same time, if you're, if you're paying for cable, you are, you are paying Fox news, CNN, MSNBC every month. And so it's a, it's an argument for, you know, take a stand against the, the entertainment 
polarization, yeah. the polarization yeah. of our quote news industry is cut your cable. And then that's one way of voting against these. Cause it's, it's not news. It's not news. Yeah. yeah the, the way that it, I experience it is I've know a lot of complex people who are now a lot less complex. And that is really something I don't like. I mean, it's a, it's a bad feeling to me, you know, like um, people that had nuanced opinions now are just not having them anymore. And they've just done one thing or the other. And it feels, I know they don't know. I know they don't even see that it's happened to them basically because, well, on one hand, it's just, I'm being entertained this moment or just checking my Twitter feed here. But the outcome, the fruit of it is simpler thinking. And it definitely is more like sports is it, it entertainment and sports like in you know in football it's not bad that you can't give an inch like every inch counts in football every inch so you can't just no matter what you hustle forever and that's the same thing it, that they do the nra does or whatever or or the opponents of the nra it's just right. that's not that's not the same thing or it shouldn't be the same it thing. shouldn't be the same and it's because that's, that's, that's war that's actually yeah. war of a type it's not a hot physical war but football is a war in its context someone does win someone does lose don't treat football like a dance it should be a war right it's a it's a war and it's not bad it's a war within this context and everything about the game theory of the war tells you what to do about it but if that that means that no conversations are involved in a war and if, if there's a war between gun people and not gun people then it's not a conversation if ev- all the parties involved with power think of it as a war yeah that's a, and that's a problem i don't know what to do i don't guess there's anything to do about it it seems like it's just going to get worse it is and it's 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 getting worse because we are already so fragmented so it's hard to put the pieces back together so it's not just that our our, our media industry is so focused on infotainment uh, but we also have what we call the balkanization of media. And I know that term's getting a little bit old now because we're talking about Yugoslavia breaking up the Balkan states in, in the 90s. But the, So it's that idea of we have broken up by tribes, essentially, each have our own little kingdom. Uh, and so what it means is we have these feedback loops. So conservatives primarily just consume conservative news sites or conservative media. Liberals primarily consume or only follow liberals on Twitter and only follow liberal news sites. And so we think that everyone's thinking like us. And you probably heard some of those arguments right. after the last election. Like, well, there's no way Pr- President Biden could have won. I don't know anyone who voted for him. I mean, that's, that, that, that is a little bit of self-own, right? Like like, you haven't gotten out very far. You should know somebody. You should be friends with somebody who voted different than you in the last presidential election. Right? And so, but we are so set off in our own little areas that all we hear is something that reinforces what we already believe and it doesn't challenge us. And if we never get challenged, then that's when we lose that nuance that you were talking about, Matt, that we are losing that. It's like, it's like if you don't work out, if you don't do something that actually hurts your muscles a bit, they're not going to grow. They're going to get flabby and flubby. And that's what we're doing to our brains, politically speaking. I think that that's so interesting you said that because i experienced that same thing uh with covid i had family members going i don't know anybody with covid you know but yeah nobody's had it this is back you know what uh 2019 2020 or whatever uh they're like i and you know and then it started coming towards them and then people started taking some precautions and do it you know thinking more more about it and being a little more concerned with it or whatever but when it's not there you just think well this is some I can't believe like COVID got so politicized. It, it it even got got politicized. Like a virus became you know red and blue states. 
It's wild. It did. It did. Yeah. And, and a lot of people died because of it. Yeah. Because it became political. Yeah. Right. Exactly. How did we get to, in your opinion, how did Christians get into pro-Trump? How, how, how did Christians become MAGA and like that? Because, okay, for me, regardless of if you agree with, uh, you know, like uh, for, for me, Obama, wasn't, it wasn't about, I think he was a great president because I just thought, man, it was really nice to have somebody that seems really respectable, never heard anything bad, family guy. It seems like he's a, a good husband, good dad. Like, it just seemed like a good representative. Like, it, he seemed, it seems like somebody, wow, man, he made it. And that's, that's really cool. So just the story there. Not, uh, uh, of course, mm-hmm. you could argue some of his stuff, you know, drones and killing people. Not, you know, I, I get all that for sure. Every president has some bad stuff. But to go from Obama where I thought, oh, man, this is maybe this is really amazing for America. Maybe there's some real unity here to Trump. And then Christians jumping on the Trump train. How did that happen? Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, there's been a lot of people who, who have done a lot of good scholarship trying to explain this. I, I mean, I think, I think the clearest exam- issue just comes down to race. I mean, you just mentioned we had our first black president, and then we have Donald Trump, and I don't think that's a coincidence. So you had 17 Republicans running for president in 2015 and 2016, and the only thing that Trump was better on on his resume was being racist. I mean, it was the only thing that he had going for him. He had literally flirted with running in 2012 based solely on the false claim that Obama was somehow secretly born in Africa, uh, the birtherism claim. Uh, that's, that was his rise politically in the party was going after Obama. I was actually at a, an event in, in 2011 or 2012 when he was using it. Was a, it was a, quote, Christian event when Donald Trump was there talking about, you know, Obama not really being born in America, right? This was what got him in with some of the religious leaders. And then he launches his campaign calling Mexicans rapists and we're going to close the border. And if you look through the data, you see that race, feelings about race and Christian nationalism, all of that is very closely tied to support for Trump. And so I think that what it shows is that this history of racism that literally split our churches, our denominations 150 years ago, uh, we haven't really dealt with. We haven't dealt with these issues in our churches. Okay, pardon interruption, but you'll like this. Um, You guys know King's Kaleidoscope. They're in the BC universe. Their first uh, recording that they put out after Mars Hill was one that I helped Chad and them design live in color, and BC released it and gave out, you know, shared emails and did that kind of thing. So all the way back from the beginning of their career um, as a band, we've been involved with lots of stuff. They did a Bad Christian conference. They played at the first one at the show um, with As Cities Burn and us. And Chad's been on the podcast more than once, I'm pretty sure, as well. And I don't know if y'all heard, but he's been covered in uh, that last bonus episode of the Mike Cosper podcast, the, uh, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. That's been using the King's K for the theme song. And there's a whole episode that you know featured Chad. But anyway, King's Kaleidoscope has a new album that they're developing, and they're going to use their tour, which is what this message is about, 
to work out the album kind of in the moment with the fans night after night. So the fans will actually experience the new album first live before anybody else hears it in any other capacity. And that's very exciting, very cool idea. Um, they're also going to be playing their other songs and things everybody knows, of course, too. But uh, Zach and Life, who worked on Rub Some Dirt on it and have done all, you know, recorded all the video stuff with us, are going to be out on that tour in different places um, and capturing that experience. Uh, I helped work on the production uh, design and some other things like that. So it's a really cool experience. And if anybody can get out there and catch a King's Kaleidoscope date, I think that you'll be glad that you did. And some of the new music that they've got is already up on Spotify and YouTube. So in any case, just go to kingskaleidoscope.com, check out the tour dates. Propaganda is going to be on some of the dates. And there's a band called Oli that's going to be on it that I really like a lot, too, and I'm looking forward to seeing. So anyway, kingskaleidoscope.com. Check that out now. Okay, back to it understands the wedgeness of it or something like that is how would you explain like he knows that that birther thing to this demographic will do that like it's like how do you Mm -hmm. what language do you have for that because that's almost more disturbing than he grew up racist and is a racist and that's why he's winning that's that's a simpler story yeah i I think you know i think if, if if nothing else trump has shown us that he and even before being president he knows how to get attention he knows how to get ahead uh, and so he knows what works. Like he knows how to yeah. pay attention to what's going to be popular, what's going to get media attention. Is that data to help advancing or instinct for him? Or how does it work in politics? Then when they're figuring out what's the issues and how they're going to do that, I don't understand what that yeah. is. That talked about explicitly with him and people, or has he just got a gut for that? How to read people? What is it? I mean, I think some of it has to be instinct. You know, I also think some of it has to be a, a lack of. You know, moral grounding. I mean, to be that flexible, to be able to to, yeah, to yeah. really to really captivate, to really take advantage of, uh, you have to be someone who is unmoored for any true moral value, so that you can go and say what you've got to say and do in this moment. Yeah, yeah, that's probably it. It's the flexibility of the morals and the lack of integrity that is his advantage more I, than. I think the saddest part to me is it. I believe he just views people as resources and tools and not as people like he does. He would probably say forever. I'm sure he has said that he's against abortion. I don't think he is at all. I don't think he's, you know, I mean, I, I I think he used to call himself extremely pro-choice. Like he's moved even on that issue. I mean, so he, he just moves and then he has a base that then he can manipulate. And, and it seems to me too, like he, I think there's something in him that just wants to be an entertainer and get people's attention. And so that's why, like, I, it, to me, his whole presidency, when I have to look back on it, it, almost seems like it was all campaigning. Like he loved campaigning and then he just kept campaigning in a way. And he just loves getting in front of people and saying, no, nah, you know, and pointing at this, you know, and coming up with nicknames. And I mean, in some ways he's a comedian. I mean, he is an entertainer. I do think mm-hmm. the guy is smart in the sense that, I mean, he, he did all this. But he is just using people, and, and especially I see that in Christianity, and I just don't understand how, how were Christians able to look past so I mean, like the church that I grew up in was unbelievably conservative. And, I mean, the idea that a president would, like, cheat on his wife or, you know, uh, be just, like, sexual immorality was a huge one back then. But all those people that voted for him and, like, my family, you know, my papa was a pastor. My family supported him, and it, it, like they were, it almost feels like they were fooled or something. It, it, in some ways, it's almost like an antichrist in a way. I know that, that seems really epic or whatever. I'm just saying, some, 
it doesn't seem like somebody. I mean, he, I, I don't, you know, none of them could ever go. The, you know, who's who really seems like a real Christian is Donald Trump. That just that doesn't seem like that. I don't understand how it was so fooled. It's almost just like once again, they, he just he he goes, oh, if I talk about this, this, and this, I got them. And it, it almost makes those people seem foolish or silly or ignorant. And so I can see on the left side going, what are y'all doing? Don't you understand how bad Trump? Well, but you know, your guy, you know, or it's, it's so crazy. And I mean, and then for the, but anyway, let's stay on this for a second. It, it, what was that underlining thing? Is it just that he, he spoke to their big, the big issues that Christians go, we have to fight against this. Yeah, I mean, what you are resonating, identifying there resonates with me because I grew up in a conservative Southern Baptist church uh, and was taught that character matters, right? This is right. this is yeah. why yeah. this is why Bill Clinton should be impeached, removed from office. Well, first, yes. why he shouldn't be elected, and then why he should be removed uh, because character matters. And then when I write as I as I did during the last six years that character matters, I get called a liberal. And I have to tell you, I mean, the 16-year-old the version of me is really confused about that. I mean, I, I was leading my, my high school Republican club and listening to Rush Limbaugh and going to my Southern Baptist church. And I was like, wait a minute, how does this make me liberal? And so it, in many ways, this has been very apocalyptic, an unveiling sort of way, right? It has unveiled, it has unmasked the, a lot of what we were being taught in conservative evangelical churches that ultimately they didn't really mean it. Right. It was all just a cover. It was all just it was a tool that could be used. It was a strategy. Right. And so Bill Clinton. Yes. Uh, was clearly had character problems. And so an easy way to score some political points was to say character matters. But it really wasn't about character. It was about politics. That was the goal. And yeah. character religion was just an ends. Uh, it was just a means to the ends. It was just a tool that we could use to defeat our enemy. And then when that became inconvenient, uh, then, you know, we have to toss that whole argument aside. And But it, what it shows is that so much of the religious right was just about politics all along. It was just partisanship, yeah. and it had nothing to do about character or faith or religion. How do you reflect on that when you think back about, like you said, listening to Rush Limbaugh and being involved in that as a, as a young person? When you think about Rush Limbaugh, is he a precursor in some way? Like, how do you look, reflect back on, like like you said, listening to him? Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it very, yeah. I mean, there's another thrice married, you know, you know, quote, conservative hero, you know, Trump and Limbaugh. Uh, and race, clearly, uh, a lot of racism on his show, you know, as I read, listen back to it in hindsight and thinking about that. So I, I do think that, you know, of all of the things that we might put together, how did we get to Trump as president? You know, one, sh you know, one chapter, if you will, or one, you know, strand would be Rush Limbaugh and, you know, the rise of talk radio in general uh, definitely helped lead us in that direction. It helped prepare the way. I, I'm not necessarily saying Limbaugh was, you know, John the Baptist here, but I mean, you know, in some ways he's one of those many big, you know, figures that helped prepare the way. Yeah, I think it's fascinating when, you, you know, as far as communication goes, dialogue and talk and conversation and character like those are my values i like to i just love talking and i like i think character and integrity matters and like whatever i mean that's just me but um but i also love the entertainment 
when it comes into it. And it's weird that talk radio or now podcasting and these other forms have given this ability to like play with that in a way that I guess is can be really deceptive or something because it sounds like conversation, but it's really more calculated or you can't tell. But to me, like I like Howard Stern and Rush Limbaugh because they're awesome at doing the thing that I think is awesome to do, which is like being engaging verbally. I love it. I love verbally engaging people that can just hold it and do stuff and transmit information and like it's such a cool skill and it's like what is it weaponized am i being tricked when i'm listening to this person or that or whatever but to me it's like howard stern is good and you know it's like he's good at that skill and rush limbaugh was too but how could you know it's just it's i mean it's like we have to understand that we're all uh like we're all the stupid one in a way. Like I'm influenced by all these things that I'm not recognizing I'm being influenced by, I guess. Yeah. Like that's been happening my whole life. Like I thought, well, I decide what I think, but I guess not. It's just whatever, whoever entain- entertains me the most, I go along with them. Yeah, we all have this bias, right? That I know how to decipher right. and I won't be tricked, but most other people will be. Right? Like, right. I'm never the one that's going to fall for the cult or the fraud or the scam, but I know that most other people probably would fall for it. Uh, right. We always are more confident in our own abilities to discern. Yeah. For me, uh, it too, I think there was something about Trump that was uh, all, I, I, I don't know if it's just the Republican Party or maybe even was in Christianity, but he's somebody that they were like, I don't have. I've always wanted to be able to say this and stand up to somebody. And they, he really did play the part of like a tough guy. He's not at all, not a tough guy whatsoever. I mean, and I mean, not overly like, he's not brilliant. He's not somebody like, you know, going back to Obama, you just thought, man, this guy's just smart. And I I mean, it just, uh, you know, maybe I was fooled by Obama too, but I just, I just felt that way with Trump. It just is entertaining. And it's somebody, you know, is going to go over to that other side and go F you liberal. You, you're going to do this not on my watch. And, and I think a lot of it, do you, do you think it uh, applies to the, that church, especially, you know, I know the Bible Belt, but that church and middle class that has felt beat down, has felt like they never got ahead, they paid their taxes, they worked their asses off, they do all this stuff, and they don't feel like they ever win, and nobody listens to them, and then this guy says, I'm going to listen to you, come with me. And it's like a hero, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely there's something to that, but it's also ironic because, you know, it's Trump is the embodiment of the elite wealthy that has that is why the middle class is is getting squeezed. I mean, if you look economically at our trends over the last little over four decades, I mean, income inequality continues to rise. Uh, the I don't want to sound like Bernie Sanders here, but you know, I don't agree with all of his policy. But he is correct in saying the wealthy are getting wealthy. Right. Right? They're getting wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. Yeah. This has been happening over four decades. Uh, and so then in comes someone who steps into that moment and says, you know, you're right, right? You, you're being mistreated. You're not getting what you, what you deserve. It, it really, my generation, your generation, we're the first generation that is probably going to, as a generation, make less money than our parents, Right, that has never happened in American society before. So there's a there's a, there's a real economic discontentment there in society. But the irony is, you don't pick the guy with the golden toilet. I mean, right. he's part of the problem. He's not right. he's not the one that's actually there to fix it. And that's the irony that this is the guy that was somehow you know chosen to be the the hero when it was just one more scam for him. And how did the 
Democrats get it so wrong. Like it, like Hillary was such a bad candidate to go against him, I guess. I mean, how, how, it seems like for all the, cause to me, the, the way it's always portrayed is the right is, uh, you know, uh, working class blue collar, uh, you know, what's mine is mine. And let me, you know, military. And then, and then the left is, you know, supposedly more loving, open, uh, and more intelligent, uh, you know, uh, that, that, that they care more about the, the real data and the information and stuff, but to roll out Hillary, it just, and for her to get beaten in, in such a public way, it's just like, I, I don't understand. And now there's nobody like, I mean, if Trump does want to run again, I mean, there's a very good chance he could win. I'm not saying he will, but I mean, he, he, he has a really good chance to come back, right? Yeah, what does the landscape yeah. look like going forward here? What, yeah, what are we, I, I, mean, I hadn't started thinking about it yet, but is it time to start thinking about, or, or I don't know. I'm yeah. just, what's next? Quick on 2016, because you're, you're right, Toby. I mean, the, the Democratic Party chose the, the, the candidate that could lose to Donald Trump. I mean, the polling has shown that our two least popular nominees in modern American history since we've had polling, the two least popular general election nominees were Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. <laughs> and we did it in the same year. Like if you had, if, if, the, if either party had nominated somebody who was above water in popularity, because they were both, they were both un- more people disliked them than liked them. If either party had nominated somebody who was even remotely popular, just barely popular, it probably would have been a landslide election in both the popular vote and the electoral college. So the, the Democratic Party managed, and, and you know, we, we won't get into whether or not it's fair. I mean, so some, I think some of the criticisms of Hillary over the years was unfair. A lot of it was very much earned by the Clintons. There was a lot of scandals yeah. there and so forth. But regardless of all that, you don't nominate someone who's that unpopular and then get surprised as to how they could lose. And so that, I think, is a really significant uh, point. But as far as, like, looking forward, I mean, we, we are not yet seeing, first within the Republican Party, any real movement or ability to shake Trump's hold on the party. I mean, the candidates are, all of them are campaigning in Malargo as if that's the most important place to vote. It doesn't matter what state they're, they're campaigning for. They keep showing up in Florida because they know that they can get his one vote, his one endorsement, and we just saw this in Ohio. J.D. Vance went from fourth place to first place in like three weeks and is now the Republican uh, nominee and the front runner to go to the United States Senate because Donald Trump endorsed him. What? I didn't hear that. What What happened? Say that again. J.D. Vance was running fourth place in the polls and Donald Trump swoops in and endorses him at the, like the last minute, oh, two or three boy. weeks before before Election Day. And he won. And so that copycat that endorsement. So now everybody of, wants that. That's the way it goes. Everybody right? wants yeah. that endorsement. Yeah. And so that shows that Donald, it's, it's his party. And yeah. so, you know, if he runs, it is hard to imagine someone in the party actually defeating him at this point. And, and a lot of Republicans have done a lot of things that have helped him remain in control. And then you have the flip <laughs> side. I mean, you know, Biden is is probably, I mean, I'll be surprised if he runs again, just given age and health and all, all right. of that. He's also unpopular. Um, Harris isn't necessarily that great of a campaigner or that popular as well. Like who's the Democratic senator or governor or somebody that has any sort of name recognition that could jump into this? I mean, we should be alarmed. And then you put on top of all that the, the uh, efforts across the country in a couple of dozen states to restrict voting access 
based on the big lie that Trump won the 2020 election. And so we're making it harder now for people to vote, which will make it easier for him to win that election. And I'm concerned about that. I mean, we saw how he reacted after 2020 and all the way up through January 6th and beyond. Like, If he can somehow get himself back into the White House, I mean, I could, I'm honestly concerned about the state of our democracy at that point. Because yes, this is someone who do. doesn't respect democracy and doesn't respect the will of the people. But a, pro- a couple of common sense things that seem like common sense to me, but I don't understand why they're true, is you, if Trump – like nobody could beat him except if they were somehow worse than him. They'd have to actually be worse than him. Like, that's the worst person can win. That's the scary part. That's how you lose democracy or something, right? It's just he. nobody can be worse than him integrity-wise. There's nobody out there that can outcompete his bad qualities that he uses. Yeah, because I think when we talk about him being not, you know, not having any moral foundation, I think that's because when they try, when they try to act like it, it, it never really quite comes off. Right. They can't actually beat him at that game. They can't beat him because, at that game. Yeah, because, I mean, let's be honest, most of the politicians, even even when they're doing horrible things, they deep down know what's right and wrong. They at least have some sense of moral understanding. And even as they're acting, uh, they, 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 they can't go all the way. Yeah. Well, if you were a Democrat, though, why can't why can't they just pick somebody totally other than Harris or Biden and just and it, why does that have to be an? Why couldn't it be a like a no name person that has reasonable integrity or something like I don't know Stacey Abrams or something. or something I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think they could. I think they could, and I think they're. I, I would say I'd say that it's more likely to beat Trump in the general election than in the primary if he runs, um, because he is he is deeply unpopular. Uh, I think there are a lot of people, and I think January sixth showed right that a lot of people are concerned about him that are Democrats and even independents. One of the things he had going for him in 2016 was that more people thought that he was the less extreme of the two candidates. They thought he was more bipartisan than Clinton. And so, but then we saw him govern. And so that wasn't true in 2020. More people thought that he was more partisan, more extreme, and he hasn't been able to shake that reputation. So that does hurt him in the general election. So I'm not one to say like, oh, he's definitely going to win. I could see the path to where he could do it again. Um, and And I have more hope that the Democrats could could nominate somebody who could actually win than I do for Republican primary voters voting for someone else at this point. I think also fiscally and financially, people are going to go, wait a minute, Republicans are always the ones, right, that are going to maybe get us out of this inflation and, uh, uh, you know, financial depression, potentially, all this stuff. And so I think that that, it sounds like to me, even if Trump doesn't want to run, he will have a say in whoever the candidate is. So like, uh, Probably after him, it would have to be probably DeSantis, governor of Georgia, right? And because he seems like the most uh, uh, Trump-like in a way, it seems Florida. like he's definitely pushing some stuff in Florida against uh, Disney and doing some of those things. So it seems like him. And I, even if it's him, I don't know if the Democrats could really stand up to to him either, especially like with a full Trump endorsement. What if Trump goes, "Yeah, I don't want to do this, but hey, I'm gonna I'm here with my guy DeSantis because maybe behind the scenes he wants something or gets." you know, secret handshakes behind the scenes. But it seems that way that the Republicans almost are guaranteed to me. I could be wrong, but I I, I can't. I mean, who, who could stand up against that, I guess? Yeah, and, and DeSantis is definitely growing in popularity among, you know, the white evangelical base voters. When I watch some of these, you know, religious political events and his name gets mentioned, there's a lot of quick cheering and applauding. 
At this point, I think Trump is still trying to keep the door open. So there's some behind the scenes efforts to kind of sabotage DeSantis right now oh, from really? the Trump side. There's some behind the scenes of them hitting at each other. But but you're right. I think if Trump decided he wasn't going to run and wanted to get behind DeSantis, I mean, the, the Republican primary would be over at that you, point. You, you think Trump's running? I do. I think he's too vain not to. Yeah. yeah. Isn't and it crazy he has that much energy, to... too? Yeah, I mean, he's, what is he, 74, right? I mean, it. it I mean, he has so much energy. I can't believe it. Like, I mean, it's crazy what he's able to do. <laughs> and so I think as long as his health allows, I don't think he would. I mean, when he's leading in the polls and he loves to be the center of attention, I don't know how yeah. he doesn't go for it. But that's no different than Putin. And to me, why are we talking about like how I, how can you how can in either case we still be talking about well surely his integrity is not that low versus it's not about like that it's just some people have a psychological disorder where they don't care about other people other than themselves right so it doesn't like it's not like how far could he go it's simply that he doesn't go there he just goes like there is no thought about others right. for him or Putin there's and many many other people some of them you know in your daily life they just don't they just have the same energy level and like drives or whatever or ambitions but there's people who can't care about the consequences of their actions and he seems like one of them because he would roll with the january 6th or he'll roll with whatever it seems that way so that's the biggest disqualifier versus a political position or well at least he's going to help this person but it just seems like why can't there be a conversation about psychological disorder or something that would be disqualifying yeah. For leaders I mean, of otherwise we lose democracy, I guess. Yeah, right. Because they, I mean, Putin and Trump are both inherently anti uh, democracy. This authoritarianism is uh, by definition. But that's the irony here, right? So I mean, they're sick Donald, people. Donald Trump is the best case study example of why character matters. It's like, I mean, the religious right argument was actually correct. We need somebody with basic moral values that actually cares about other people, that actually cares about you know, doing the right thing about helping, right? And, you know, not, not that it has, they have to be religious or something, but just basic moral, you know, kindergarten level values about sharing and keeping your hands to yourself, like all these basic things. He's the best case study that character actually matters and they've abandoned the argument to elect him. I mean, it's, 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 it's so ironic. Yeah. I think he sees just, it as just reality TV. I think, it, I, it, I think to him it literally is just, uh, I mean, he probably, it seems like the epitome of what a narcissist would be, but he just, it, he just needs that attention and he just wants to be there. And then he wants to do some zingers and you're right. Like, I mean, if he's elected, so say he's elected, you, do you think the, the left or the people that don't vote for Donald Trump, you, you think that that will cause a, a bigger wedge than we've even seen now? You're saying like, what, what do you think that it will look like one year into Trump? You know, tw- what would that be? 2025. Trump's been president for a year or whatever. What does what does America look like? Yeah, I mean, I I think, I mean, I hate to be too like, uh, too much of a fear monger, but I mean, I I, 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 I honestly fear like because of I mean January sixth should be the warning to us and the behavior after that. And yeah. you know, you look at Putin, you look at all of these autocrats, right? They 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 never give up power without a fight. And he's learned, he and his camp have learned how they, what they failed with last time. I mean, we will not have another free and fair election for a generation if Donald Trump gets back in the White House. And that will, but I mean, that, 
I mean, that will also spark a counter, you know, protest and, and probably even violence uh, from the left. Um, and I mean, it's, it's going to be devastating. Um, and so, I mean, it's a clear present that, you know, a clear and present danger to our society. And then all the people seeing him do it go, Oh, I can do that. Right. So, I mean, it's the next level of what politics will look like at, if Trump wins again, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, Oh my God, what will our political system look like? Cause you, like Matt said earlier, it's just wait. Oh, if you just You're get down there in the mud, if, yeah, yeah. If you get down there in the mud, if I'm worse than you, I win. Because that that's the way it even works. It seems like on just between us as citizens on social media or something. If if I act uglier and am meaner, if I go more attack dog on you, I win. And that's yeah. all that matters is winning, winning, winning. That's you know, I mean that. that so it seems very dangerous. Because you're right. None of this is about the people. Or our government or the, you know, uh, remembering what the founding fathers told us or anything like that. You know, it, this seems like it's pretty, pretty scary. Yeah. Cause the choices are win, lose, or openly connect with the other. Right. Like open yourself <laughs> yeah. to the other. Yeah. Those are your choices. <laughs> right. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Like yeah. you either going to win to this person who's going to try to win against you or you're going to lose or you're going to open yourself to them. That's, that's, but we're not, you know, all those right. are the choices. Uh, all right. Last question. Is the church going to be deceived in this too? Do you think the church is going to be a big part of uh, electing Trump again, or will they realize where we're headed? What do you What do you yeah, see so, there? Yeah, you got there any the church could stand yeah. up together somehow. Yeah, I mean, so we, we should separate out some churches. I mean, obviously, you know, the white church, the predominantly white church, white evangelical, white Catholic, less extent white mainline, but still, it's there. Uh, you know, that's been the base of support for Trump, both in 2016 and in 2020. Uh, he would not have won in 2016. He would not have been close in 2020 without the predominantly white churches uh, supporting him. And I'm not seeing that decay. I'm not seeing that that support going away. I mean, it, it seems to still be, they still are in his corner, in his camp. And I mean, I I think the witness of the Christian church has already got now a significant stain on it for a generation because of the support that Donald Trump has already received. Uh, if they continue to back him and he continues to move forward, I mean, the, the white evangelical church, the white Catholic church will bear the blame for the destruction of American democracy. I mean, that's, that's the wow. course in which they are uh, leading us toward. That's a big time. That's a big time thing to say. And I know you uh, are a measured and, careful person so that i say that as a white evangelical yeah i I know these are my people and i feel like i feel like i'm back in high school reading left behind you know right you know half the church immediately follows the antichrist you know like what happened yeah Yeah, that's 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 coming from you in this context of this conversation i've that that hits pretty good the way you say i mean you know you're not just out here fear monger i don't i don't take you that way but that yeah definitely sounds plausible like a possibility well, Brian, we appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much for being on here. We'd love to have you back, especially as it gets closer to the election stuff. Maybe we could have you, uh, Bo, who works for you, was mentioned Ryan Burge, who we've had on the show a couple of times, and love, by the way. It's great. It'd be great, to, great. Uh, to have both of y'all on and just talk about some of this. Maybe we could talk, go in a little bit deeper on the political side and you know some of the data, and so that'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. So we'd love to have you back. Uh, where can people find you? Sure. You can find us at wordandway.org. And I have a podcast, Dangerous Dogma, wherever you're listening to this show. And if you particularly enjoy faith and politics, you should subscribe to our e-newsletter, A Public Witness, at publicwitness.wordandway.org. Awesome. All right, Brian. 
We'll, we'll hit you up in the future for sure. Thanks, man, for your time. That's great. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you for Have the a time. Good one. I really enjoyed it. Okay, so that was great, Brian Kaler. Um, here's where I'm torn. There is a percentage of me that loves the chaos that is happening, like with Donald Trump, too. Like, I mean, it is horrible and fun to watch like you can't look mm-hmm. away from a car wreck or something or you know a fight when you're in high school and two guys you know are about to fight you're like oh my god even though you know you feel bad and you wish you could just stop it you just can't and there's some entertainment value there it is yep. crazy and i think he uses that too i think he knows that a little bit like i mean yep. I, I, we might have talked about it on this podcast but he might be is he going to be the most famous person in, in the world in, in history <laughs> Like, he, I mean, he's close. Doesn't, doesn't, I mean, when you think about like Michael Jordan or whatever, and Nike be. and the, you know, Michael, Michael Jordan's Jordan, the other, Michael only Jackson, other super, super Putin's famous, becoming you know, pretty famous. Yeah. But I mean, Hitler's famous. Like he I mean, even you know. like has branded himself like his hair and yeah. MAGA. I mean, he's done every marketing thing. He's been phenomenal at. Yeah. And so the whole world right now, even people that, you know, all the countries would if, if you point, if you showed him a picture, they would know his name's Donald Trump. But he's he's also the most list, disliked person who's ever lived, basically by the numbers. <laughs> so, you know, like most, I mean, you know, maybe Hitler's di- more disliked, but the population yeah. being larger now, like you can't nobody. There's right. not that many people that Just hate percentage wise, yeah, that hate Genghis Khan or Alexander the Great, right. and maybe Hitler, but even still, I don't know. But he's approaching with the yeah. population, you know, just being. the having them up but he doesn't to him it he wins on both easily that's why he's that's smart easily what he thinks if you want to use the word smart uh or practical or whatever he knows how to harness negative energy for positive there's no such thing as bad publicity he right. loves it when cnn talks about him and you know what's crazy is their numbers do drop and i promise you cnn getting that upset if he wins again because their ratings go up and as an organization i think it's I mean, good for them but the individuals as, as maybe business, don't know that but they're all participating yeah. in it but it's it to me it's it's really crazy i mean it's really wild I, the, the overall the overall situation we're in is just like yeah i like the chaos too a uh, part of the reason is because it is exposing of it's exposing of stuff right. like right. Because everybody was trying to pretend like this people were good or that people were getting you already already knew all the time this is all bullshit and now yeah. it's being exposed so that feels good in a way because it's not right. but it's like other people go but it was safer in the nineties when we were this right. way well but it was bad so at least we now it's out here it's right. out here now so that's something that's something I, I so think that's, of it that's I think of it too I think people look at it like this like. You know how you have that friend, especially in high school or college, really go back. That, that was just that is just shitty. And so you got your friend Donnie that's just like, God, that guy's shitty. He fucks over everybody. He's uh-huh. always hooking up with chicks. He's doing this. He's doing that. He's so shitty. But it's, you just know that's what he is. And he kind of owns it a little bit. And then you have this other person, Hillary. Oh, she thinks she's so smart. She, but guess what? I know what she does behind the scenes. And she's just as shitty. But she doesn't act like it. So she seems even more fake. You know what I mean? Like if Hillary had gone, yeah, I've, I've, I'm this or whatever, you know, but the, the left, it seems like, tries to present that they are above politics and they are for the people. And they're, I mean, and they're voting Nancy Pelosi. I mean, have you seen Nancy Pelosi's stocks and how much, how rich she, I mean, all the, they're, they're just as shitty. So you can't tell me, wait, if go to the moral side, the left. I, I'd yeah, love to hear, but, but it isn't true. 
They're all yeah. bullshit. I mean, they, they, were they going to have Gavin Newsom run for uh, president from well, California? There's you know, probably somebody to emerge him? on the left that's that's Trump's, you know, equal. Like, there's no reason to think there's not a psychopath. Well, that's what I'm saying. Are you are you thinking that way? Just, like, you, you don't think there will be another not? like Obama type? Because it seems almost like if you could have like, don't you think Michelle Obama could just destroy? Don't you think, I think Michelle a lot of Obama people could? But who will is the worst like, psychopath she, yeah. that adopts left point is of view? Too smart? Point of view. Is she too smart? Is she too smart? At some that. point. I mean, she has to think that. I mean, you know, like I'm not going to I'm going to be in a debate with Donald Trump and he's just going to. I don't know. And, and I, no do I really want to be in this. I don't know. But it seems like that's what I can't understand. It just seems like. Why would anybody be somebody want to be would, in any Well, that, I'm saying it seems like there would be somebody of, of higher character that could run and beat Donald Trump. But what you're saying is it needs somebody no, just as more bad psychopathic is next. That's right. you, how you else know. would it go? How would it go the other way? It's been going this way since yeah. George Washington. It, this, right. we, we might be at the end. This might be the end of America. What is it? There's not. I mean, the, the I, things can cool off. I end understand of the empire, that. Right? I'm just saying, you know, the not the yeah, like, forever. Well, I mean, Trump could have gone left or right. He didn't care. He's a psychopath. <laughs> so that, you just need another one that chooses the other. It doesn't. The values don't matter to anybody. Yeah. They don't matter. That's the problem, I, mean, I guess. Or not, they don't matter enough. So it's just, I don't know. So, But the it, chaos it, is kind of <laughs> cool if we could. But there's some amount of not saving. Yeah. The, like the end of something and the beginning of something else doesn't have to be absolute and complete. But we surely feel like we're at the end of one thing yeah and then what is a new thing is totally right. scary for everybody uh you know i love tiktok i was and so i followed driscoll and TikTok. i know i shouldn't you know it's just like me how i used to watch tbn and uh -huh. stuff i find christian tiktokers and i watch it kind of because it, it disgusts me but it's, it's kind of like trump or whatever it just it's disgusting but also interesting whatever so driscoll's on there <laughs> driscoll i was swiping through i see driscoll's like uh oh that's what he's about to say he goes let me tell you um, are you praying for the president? You should be praying. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Is he, maybe he's really being genuine here for saying like, you should pray regardless. I thought he was going to go there and he goes, because Joe Biden is a coward. Oh, I saw that. I saw the same clip. You saw that one. I was like, yeah, what the hell? I mean, he just, I mean, pray for your president because he's a coward. Yeah, it was a pretty good line. I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, it's just never going to change. Everybody now knows sound clips and sound bites. And clickbait is just, that's about it. And no one, you're not going to read much. That's what, I mean, that's what he was just saying. You know, Brian was just saying, nobody reads an academic paper. I just told you, I don't read them. And that, that's where some real uh, study and data and information is, but nobody cares about that. They want a hit piece headline that just gets you. And that's why, I mean, I, it's going to be the wildest time during the election. It's going to be insane if Trump runs and is on the campaign trail is just going. I don't I mean, everything already still feels so heightened and it, you know, it hasn't. We, I feel like there's a pressure cooker that hasn't yeah, blown yet. And even though some bad things have happened, it still feels like it hasn't gone all the way. And I don't I don't no. know what that looks like. It'll, it's going to be what, what a time in history. It really is. I mean, it well, I mean, the real point of view is the global. One. I'm not interested in the domestic stuff at all, but the global one frames our domestic one well, which is we do for sure, sure know that everybody else out there is quite happy for us to self-destruct. Oh, yes. So right. they yeah. probably get that. And maybe a lot of people in America are happy for that, too. You know what I mean? Well, not, I guess. Not, not only on the yeah. outside of America, the inside of America, too. Right. But what is there to who's fighting for what to save what to go back to what? I don't think right. that's so it's just whatever's next is next, but it's going to be 
volatile, whoever, yeah. however it goes, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Well, volatility. I just, I, I just want to say, Father God, we come to you and just pray for that coward in the way. <laughs> <laughs> that's, how, that's how Driscoll wants you to pray. That's a good Lord, good I lift line. up our president, that coward, that yellow, you know, scaredy cat. You know, that's cool. You think that's, I mean, for him, I know that's really well calculated. Um, I know exactly how he thinks, but that the fact that he draws you in with that he's going to pray for somebody is quite on purpose to then you know, get right. your attention to pull in and drop your, yeah. and then do the aggressive thing that it's yeah. like you take that ride with him. He's really good at that. But that's, that's a, that's would you a, be surprised <laughs> if it was Donald Trump with Vice President Mark Driscoll? <laughs> well, the reason I wouldn't be surprised really? is. No, I wouldn't be surprised, but because the 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 team, a lot of the guys that are on his media team, um, they say that they were, and they'll probably talk about this at some point more. That, but one thing is they were being Mars Hill as having a powerful media team was being like approached by political stuff like Ben oh, Carson's really? team because, to yeah, run their team. Yeah. So it was like they could see and 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 Mark said that he wanted to be the pastor that prayed in the president at the like oh, he named yeah. that as a goal that he wanted to give the pastor thing at the White House at an inauguration. It's like he had goals like that and right. that that media power influence team that he was building was was already being like you know it's more talented people than a lot of general right. yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of talents in D.C., I know, but I'm just saying sure. that really high-powered, creative right. talent that's new and nimble and quick. I mean, Driscoll was using that, and politics was looking for that. Right. So he, he knows he knows the, that whole game. There's no difference right. in his game and anybody else's that's playing that game. And he's, yeah, yeah. I don't bet against Driscoll or Trump. All right. Y'all be safe out there. <laughs>